0: Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast with Dr. William Choctaw. In this episode, Dr. Choctaw will continue his Leadership Masterclass series by covering healthcare's quality revolution. He'll explore a number of factors that are driving this revolution. Factors that include the latest developments in healthcare quality and how it has changed the landscape of healthcare delivery. The Affordable Care Act, patient-centered care, high-reliability organizations, Lean Six Sigma, and Medical Malpractice. Dr. Chantal will also explore data and analytics and how they are used and applied to help improve healthcare. So whether you are a healthcare practitioner, a healthcare professional, a patient, or just a consumer of good information, this podcast episode is for you. Join us now as we explore healthcare's Quality revolution and discover how we can work together to help improve the quality of healthcare delivery for everyone. So let's get started. Here's Dr. William Choctaw.
1: Good morning. morning. I'm absolutely delighted to be here and I welcome you to the uh, Masterclass number five. Masterclass number five. Today we're going to talk about uh, leadership. in terms of healthcare's quality revolution, quality revolution. I believe that their life is about being of service to others. I believe knowledge is power. I believe leaders can change the world. You notice I always start off with the same beliefs, and these are my beliefs. And you may say, but well, Dr. Chalk, you keep talking about what you believe. Uh, <laughs> I do this for two reasons. One is to uh, emphasize the important point that we started with the very first. Uh, masterclass about talking about the brain. That is what you believe that affects what how you think, and it is how you think that affects how you act. Um, and so, it's always important for us to go back individually to our individual belief, uh, and make sure that they're in sync with where we want to be and where where we think life is going for us. If they are not, then change them, but to always be aware of them. Not, for the last five weeks, I've asked you to think like doctors as we talk about this masterclass. And as Jesse, Jesse mentioned earlier, we're going to deal with both medicine and law uh, as we talk about uh, healthcare. care. Uh, one of the things that I learned, well, let me back up. I graduated from medical school in 1973. I graduated from law school in 1998. 25 year difference. 25 year difference. I, and one of the things that I learned is the difference between doctors and lawyers. And I, I did not know this before. Not, we doctors think in terms of black and white. Either my patient has acute appendicitis or my patient does not have acute appendicitis. Either my patient's had a heart attack or my patient has not had a heart attack. Doctors like to have exactness. They like to be specific. Uh, and we're uncomfortable when, we're, when we aren't able to be specific. To lawyers, there is no black and white. Think about that. Doctors think in terms of black and white. Lawyers, there is no black and white. Lawyers think in terms of grayness. Everything is gray. It's how you use the facts to make it a little dark or a little light. So it's one of the reasons why when a doctor is talking to a lawyer, they many times there's a conflict, because the doctor is saying, but but I saved his life. So why in the world is he suing me for malpractice? The lawyer saying, I don't care that you saved his life. You violated section one of X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. Therefore, you're going to be liable for, mal- for malpractice. So it's a difference. Welcome. So it's a difference in the way we think. Doctors think in terms of black and white. Lawyers think in terms of grayness. And, and I'm definitely a black and white guy in terms of how I think and wanting an exactness of this and that. But what I have learned what I have learned as I've gotten older is that the world is probably gray. Most people probably do think in terms of black, in terms of gray. But we'll, we'll, we'll go over that a little bit more as we, as we move along. If you remember, this is your, uh, um, your computer. Um, some people call it a cell phone. Some people call it a smartphone. I call it an academic hand computer uh, because you're in the master class and you're exceptional compared to other students. You're expected to use your academic hand computer and look up stuff all the time. Anytime you have a question about anything, maybe a couple of times a day, you should go to your academic hand computer and put into the browser, what is the meaning of artificial intelligence, blah, 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 blah. So I always want to make sure to remind you about that. As always, I always like to include an outline. And the purpose of the outline is to let you know what we're going to talk about. That's one purpose. Second purpose of the outline is to let you know when we're just about done. So I know you're one of those busy people, and God bless you. You're taking time out of your Saturday to be here with us for an hour. So we're going to talk about change, and we always talk about change to some extent. We're going to talk about the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, as you probably heard it, uh, because that has been fundamental to the change in healthcare. We're going to talk about something called HCAPS. Uh, this is a survey that the government started doing probably about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, of patients to help to evaluate doctors in hospital. And we'll 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 go into detail about that. We'll mention about high reliable organizations. This is where hospitals want to be. Uh, high reliable organizations are those organizations that are trying to get to zero patient harm. Zero patient harm. One of one of the one of the um, 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 uh, codes that we take as physicians, uh, in essence, is to first do no harm. You may not help, but you don't want to harm anybody. So the first thing you want to do is not to harm anybody. We'll mention briefly about uh, Lean Six Sigma just as a process of excellence, and then we'll end with medical malpractice. So when we get to medical malpractice, you know well, I'm just about done. Okay. All right. Here we go. Quality revolution. One of the things you hear people talk about a lot in healthcare is quality. In other words, um, uh, the essence of what you do to a person or, uh, are you giving them the best type of care as compared to less best type of care? And one of the truisms that I've learned that I want to share with you, and I heard somebody say this to me a long time ago. If you can control the dictionary, you can rule the world. Think about that. If you can control the dictionary, You can rule the world. because, see, if I control the dictionary, things mean whatever I say they mean. Black means white. Up means down. In means out because I control the dictionary, right? So you want to be very, very careful when you hear people talk about whatever they're talking about and ask yourself, who controls the dictionary? Who decides what's good? Who decides what's high quality, what's poor quality? Who, Who makes that decision? and how did they get that 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 uh, ability to be able to do that another fundamental principle that we will 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 address multiple times today is healthcare is healthcare a privilege or is it a right do you have a right to quality of healthcare or is it a privilege that you've been blessed with being able to experience more and more now and i'm in that in the, in the category that believes that healthcare is a fundamental right I do not care where you are. I do not care what you do. I do not care what you look like. I do not care what your politics are. I do not care whether you're a follower of Martin Luther King or you're the imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. If I am your surgeon, I'm going to give you the very best care. And it does not matter to me. I'm not even going to ask you about your politics. Does that make sense? Because as a physician, my job is not to judge you. So I don't judge. I don't judge. Now, that, that's a little different from the way I grew up, where, you know, you do judge. I look at him, and I judge this, and I judge that. But as a physician, my job is not to say, well, he's wearing a black watch, therefore, ABC, or he's wearing a blue jacket, therefore, I am a physician. And my job is to give you the best care possible, and that is irrespective of what you believe in, who you are. Now, everybody does not believe that. But I think it's fair to say that most in society are moving toward the fact that healthcare is a right. It is not a privilege. I don't care what your citizenship is. I don't care where you were born. If you land in my hospital on my operating room table, I'm going to give you the very best care possible. And all that other stuff does not matter to me. It is not relevant to the quality of care that I give you. And this is where we're trying to get doctors and nurses and hospitals to get to today. One of the other basic principles that the federal government figured out some years ago is it pays most of the money in this country for health care. The federal government, Washington, D.C., pays most of the money for health care in this country. So the government said, if I pay most of the money, I think I should control that dictionary. Right? If, if you can't do it without me paying you and you rely on me to pay you, then I can decide what's what. And so then the government said, I will decide or help to decide what quality is. No, Dr. Choctaw, we're going to go by your definition because I'm paying you, <laughs> right? And so you can have your thoughts. That's good. I'll listen to your opinion. But at the end of the day, it is my responsibility. So I'm going to tell you what my expectations of you are. Uh, Hospital X, I'm going to tell you what my expectations of you are, okay? One of the big ways this occurred in this country, and many of you have heard about this, and you sort of know about it, but it may not have been obvious to you at the time, is the Affordable Care Act. And you hear one party in this country saying they're going to repeal it, and they promise they're going to repeal it, they're going to get rid of it. And the other party in this country said it's the best thing that's ever happened Healthcare in the last 20 years, and some even call it Obamacare because it was President Obama who actually pushed it through. Uh, it's similar to the 1950s where Medicare was was first adopted. Medicare did not exist until the 1950s. What does Medicare do? Medicare helps to ensure quality care for elderly patients in this country because when you're elderly, you probably no longer work, you know, and when you're and the older you get the more and more and more medical conditions you're going to develop, just the way it is, okay? So the government decides, well, you know, if you've worked hard all your life or you've lived a long time, you should not uh, be denied health care just because you're over 65 years of age. So Medicare says, we're going to help pay for your health care. And that's why we have Medicare. And I might add that some people who objected to that in the 1950s. No, 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 no. That's socialized medicine. You know, people ought to work for, for their healthcare. For instance, I've been working for the last 50 years. I'm 75 years old. I, I'm not going to work anymore. Uh, but still, uh, it depends on whether you believe healthcare is a right or a privilege. Should it only be for certain people? who have a certain amount of income, who have a certain amount of blah, 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 or live in a certain zip code? Or should it be for everybody? Because it's a God-given right to human beings, and it should not matter who you are or what you look like. But that's the fundamental argument. That's the fundamental argument. And you hear it play out all the time, every day. Three things, uh, very briefly, that the Affordable Care Act did, or does, because it's still with us, uh, the other party was not able to repeal it. They keep trying, but they keep failing. Uh, one, it 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 covered more people. That was it. Paid for care for more people, i.e., single parent, three to four children, may not have a job, stays on um, um, uh, uh, welfare or something like that. How do you pay for? And if you have a sick child, how do, how do you pay for those expenses? So the Affordable Care Act helps to pay for that. It controls costs. Um, there are some who believe, well, you know, you, you pay whatever I charge. Well, not really if I don't control the dictionary, okay? Because well, the person controls the dictionary said all no, Chaka, you can't charge $1,000 for cutting a toenail. That, that, that just doesn't work. You, you can't do that. I know you may have house payments. Get a smaller house. <laughs> Get a smaller house, okay? The other thing, and probably one of the most subtle and I think one of the most profound things that Obamacare did back in 2010, is that it forced hospitals and doctors to go all electronic, electronic, forces to use the computers, put down that pen and pencil, and it drove the industry crazy. I I know nurses that quit. At hospitals, because they had to learn how to use a computer. And the nurse says, "I want to be at the bedside." Doctors who said, "Well, I'm a doctor. I I I I operate on people. I don't want to do all that paperwork." And and the government said, "You know what? I control the dictionary. I'm paying your salary. Uh, quality is what I say it is. What I say it is." Uh, and quite honestly, my personal opinion, the government was correct, because if you're doing the right thing, why is it a big deal for you? Okay. What are the other fundamental things? About this whole change in the idea about quality healthcare is let let me let, let me do it with a hypothetical, and I've, I've, I'm sure I've said this before. Uh, when I graduated from medical school in the early '70s as a physician, um, I, we were told that we're in charge. We doctors, I mean, are in charge. People just do what we say in a hospital. Um, and I think I've mentioned um, you know about how nurses used to stand when the doctor used to walk onto the ward and all that sort of stuff. But basically, the response to the thing was, yes, doctor. I said, do X? Yes, doctor. Do Y? Yes, doctor. No question. No blah, blah, blah. None of that. And the government said, you know what? If you go and stay a couple of nights at the Ritz Colton, before you even get home, they will send you something and said, how was our service? Did you like it? Were you OK? Were there any problems? Would you come back again? Would you recommend us to your friends? Blah, blah, blah. What's my point? My point is that quality organizations are always interested in the opinion of the customer. Who is the customer in healthcare? Doctor's Doctor is not the customer. Nurse is not the customer. The patient is the customer. And so one of the things that my, my last seven to eight years in full time employment run around the country, uh, trying to help along with the Joint Commission educate physicians and hospitals about quality care. A fundamental thing I, I would say it is: it is no longer doctor about you. It used to be about you. Seven is and eight years. This is now 2023. About the patient. It's about the patient. It's what the patient thinks. It's what the patient believes. It's what the patient feels. And so, in effect, this is what the government, who controls the dictionary, who pays the money, has adopted and said. It's patient centered care. So, what do you do when something is patient centered uh, or customer centered? The patient is your customer. You ask their opinion. So, the government many years ago came up with something called HCAPS, and that stands for Hospital Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Provider and Systems. What that means is hospital consumer assessment, patient of healthcare providers, doctors and nurses, and hospitals. And systems, healthcare delivery systems. So, two weeks after the Medicare patient is discharged from hospital A, hospital will send a a, a, a correspondence, a letter, um, with a survey, and it will have twenty-seven questions. Only twenty-seven questions, and the questions are in different areas. and 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 I'll just deal with the question about doctor. And the only three questions they ask the patient about doctor, and the concern here is zero patient harm. And the answers to the questions are either always, usually, sometimes, or never. Okay. All the patient has to do is fill in the circle that says always, usually, sometimes, or never. The three questions that they ask about doctors is how often does your doctor treat you with courtesy and respect? Real basic question. How often did your doctor, when you were in the hospital, hospital ABC, for two weeks, uh, how often did your doctor treat you with courtesy and respect always usually sometimes or never and here's the deal if the patient's answer is not always or usually, Medicare ignores the other two scores they, they don't care about never and some and 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 sometimes it is zero you got a zero for that. The only thing they score are four for always, three for usually. That's all. Okay. Second question they ask the patient about the doctor. How often does your doctor listen to you? Real basic stuff. Doctor comes in making rounds. Good morning, Mr. Smith. How are you this morning? Mr. Smith says, oh, you know, doctor, I had this horrible headache and and my eyes have sort of been watering and my neck is sore. He says, okay, you have a nice day, Mr. Smith. (laughs) God bless. (laughs) And you go on to the next section. How often does your doctor listen to you? Real basic stuff, right? Third third and final question they ask the patient, Medicare patient, in this uh, survey they send out. How often does your doctor explain in ways that you can understand? How often does your doctor explain in ways that you can understand. One of my responsibilities that I won't mention the name, but a small hospital in West Virginia, California, is that I would try to educate the doctors about um, sitting when you make rounds. You know, doc comes in, morning, Mr. Jones, blah 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 blah. Have a great day. Any questions? And you know, is leaving the room. And, and usually, when when the doctor says, oh, there "Are there any questions?" His hand is on the doorknob, right? Because <laughs> he's going out the door. And do you know, and this is what I would explain to the doctor, because I learned this, um, most patients believe very strongly that doctors are extremely busy, number one. Number two, most patients are extremely, extremely, extremely respectful of physicians. They will not ask you a question if they think you're too busy to answer. They will not. And they can have a question. It's, oh my God, I've, I've been waiting all night, and and I, you know, I, I want to make sure that I, I grab Dr. Chaka this morning. And so, what I tell the doctor, you've got to give them permission to ask you a question. And how do you do that? You say, uh, uh, "Thank you, Mr. Mr. Jones. Uh, do you have any questions?" And you follow it up with one simple, one one simple sentence: "I have the time." That's all you have to do. So take your hand off the doorknob. <laughs>
0: Put your hand by your side
1: and say, do you have any questions, Ms. Smith? I have the time. When you say I have the time, now you're saying, okay, he's giving me permission to ask him a question. They will not ordinarily. They won't. 98%, 99% of the patients say, I, you know, I, I, I do have this pain that I want to answer Dr. Bob, but uh, Dr. Choctaw is so busy. Uh, you know, he's so busy. You know, I see him running up and down the place and this and that. And and I, you know, I, I'll i be okay. I'll be okay. But it is our responsibility to go to the patient. They shouldn't have tried to figure out what to ask us. Our responsibility is, do you have any questions? Okay. So that's a huge change in health care. Where it's basically top down, and you do what we say, and you do it the way I said. I I I remember when I would go on rounds, and I'm wearing my little white pants as an intern, and then there's the the middle resident and the senior resident, and there's the professor in surgery at Yale. And the professor would walk into the patient who's going to have surgery, and he would look at her, and he would say something like this. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to take you to surgery at 730 in the morning, and I'm going to do a cholecystectomy. The operation will last approximately two hours and four to five minutes. You will have some discomfort. I will give you pain medication. You will be in the hospital maybe about two weeks. And then he'd walk out of the room. And the would say, what? What did he say? And what would happen was the resident would stop and say, Mrs. Smith, do you have any questions? Um, uh, Professor Choctaw is so busy, you know, but but I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a question. And that's how we used to do it. That's how we used to do it. Hopefully, most of that change. Where, where we stop and we even tell the doc, sit in a chair by the, by, by the bed. Some, um, if you feel comfortable, sit on the bedside. Some do that and say, do you have any questions? Why? Because most communication is nonverbal. It is not what I say. It is what I do. So, if I don't say I have the time, but if I sit on your bed or if I pull up a chair beside your bed, I'm telling you, yeah, I I got some minutes. Talk to me. Very important. And so, this is what's happening in healthcare now. Some hate this. Some physicians hate this. Some in healthcare hate this. But I think it's fair to say that the majority of us. Of moving in this direction. And this is one of my jobs, which I loved, uh, among other things. One of the things that I have learned, uh, like a lot of times doctors will say, well, you know, you know, I practice in San Gabriel Valley and it is so diverse. You know, you've got so many different ethnic groups and so many this and so many that. And I can't be responsible for, for, you know, making sure that everybody understands everything and understands me and whatever. And, and what I, what I would do, uh, what I would give like my little um, um sixty-minute uh, lecture to the doc, I said, "Respect transcends all culture. You don't have to be an expert in Mandarin or Chinese or um, Tagalog or Filipino or on and on and on. Just be respectful. Be respectful. And and how do you be respectful? Most communication is nonverbal. Read the room. You you walk into a room, uh, and father is the patient." Mother is sitting beside him and the kids, the adult kids are standing in the room. What do you do? One of the things you want to do is you speak to father, but you want to speak to mother. I used to shake hands with the little kids. They'd all grin and laugh because they thought I was silly. But, but what, what, what's my purpose? My purpose is I am respecting you. I see you. I see you. You're not just a chair up against the wall. That, we'll, we'll come back to that. Let me say a real quick word about lean six sigma. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but those of you who are very process oriented, um, um, and 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 much of this uh, has come from institutions like um, uh, airlines industry and others that have to get everything right. You know, and if they don't get everything right, if they make mistakes, the so things don't go right. You know, they all die many times along with the patient. Big incentive, big incentive, right? Different from healthcare. They're from healthcare, where you say, "Well, he was nine hundred years old, and blah blah blah, blah blah blah." But if you're on that same plane, right? You're on that same plane. You don't have, you don't need a bigger incentive. One of the most important, I think, one of the most um, excellent systems uh, is Lean Six Sigma. Lean, real quickly, just means eliminating waste. Eliminating waste, would you guess, is one of the biggest waste when you go to the hospital or go to see the doctor, what's one of the biggest waste? Something that should not happen, you think. What are, what, what are those rooms that you sit in? Waiting room, waiting. Why do you have to wait? What, what dictionary is that in? Who says that you got to wait two hours before your doctor sees you when you go to her office? Where, where is that written that, that you have to wait two hours? But one of the things that I used to do, uh, in my office, and my uh, um, um, office manager is sitting right in front of me. She ran not only me, but my office. We had a policy. I'm sorry, We had a policy in my office. If if you had a 1 o'clock appointment to see me, but you arrived at 1230, we would see you at 1230. Because we were already there 30 or an hour before your appointment time, right? Because we we, we schedule appointments. We know which time you're supposed to come in. And and we would see you because the idea of being, number one, to show respect. My time is valuable. So is your time. But why why should you have to wait for me? Why should I have to wait for you? Mutual respect. Okay? So lean eliminates waste. What Six Sigma does is Six Sigma eliminates variation. If there are six of us, seven of us in this room, and we all want to get out that door but we all want we all want to get out of this room. But we come up with seven different ways to do it. Some go out the door, some go out this door, some go out the window, some go out this other way. That, that's really pretty inefficient, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Now multiply that in a huge hospital delivery system, a thousand beds with a thousand plus patients. So to have efficiency to not make mistakes, you you need to have a simple but effective process. And that's what Six Sigma does right six sigma says i i would i would I would be on rounds in a hospital say in Chicago, and they would be presenting to me about something they're very proud of, and they say you know we we decreased our infection rate from um uh eighty percent uh, uh we, we improved our our efficiency up to eighty percent eighty five percent uh and nobody in the area has hit eighty five percent true story and I was saying. You're good. I said, but why not 90? They said, well, nobody does 90. I said, I'm not talking about all those other people. You're you're, you're the superstar. (laughs) I said, well, why not 95? Why not 100? When did we decide that 80% was was excellent? Who, Who wrote that dictionary? And then I would tell them true story. I said, because if I'm a patient in your hospital, or my wife, or my children, or my grandchildren, I want a hundred percent. I'm not impressed with eighty-five percent. Good job, good job. But I expect you to do more. I expect you six sigma to break it down mathematically. Says ninety-nine point nine 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 six six six. That that distance between ninety-nine percent and hundred, you can do better. That makes sense. Six sigma says you need to be not at eighty-five percent. You need to be at ninety-nine. But even at ninety-nine, you can do better. Before you get to 100. In essence, you never stop improving. There's always something better that you can do. And that's actually been, been, been articulated. And I would encourage you to take that handheld computer that you have and look up Lean Six Sigma. Uh, real quickly, this is just the roadmap for it. Define, measure, analyze, improve, control. I'll just say a quick word about define. Whenever there's a problem, a system, let's say, um, Uh, Dr. McClure is the owner of a small hospital, 250 beds. Uh, In his hospital, he has an OBGYN department for delivering babies. He has an emergency department where patients come in if they have emergencies. One of his managers comes to him and he says, "Uh, Dr. McClure, we have a problem. And he says, but what's your problem? And she says, well, we have a lot of people who come to our emergency room, but they leave before they see the doctor. They leave before they see the doctor. We call it left without being seen. Okay, Leave before they see the doctor. So he says, why, why are they leaving before they see the doctor? She says, I don't know. <laughs> but it's a problem. She said, because we have all these people tied up, and more importantly, we, are, we aren't doing anything for the community. So what are some of the reasons they can be leaving without seeing the doctor? Well, maybe they have to wait too long to see the doctor. If they have to wait... Six hours, ten hours. Would you leave your mother? You bring your kid in because he has an ear infection. You got to go to work the next morning. You bring the kid in at ten o'clock at night, and you wait eight hours in an emergency room before taking him uh, before having him seen. So, is is it waiting too long? Is it is it they feel uncomfortable in your emergency room? Maybe it's not clean. Maybe there's a lot of a lot of activity, and they don't feel safe in, in the emergency room. Uh, maybe they've seen your doctors walk around the, the emergency room and they're wearing flip-flops and shorts. And you said, whoa, whoa, <laughs> am I in the right place? <laughs> so what, what's my point? My point is, for those of you who, 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 are, who are math enthusiasts, there's a formula for Lean Six Sigma. It says y equals a function of x. Y is your problem. Why is what you're trying to solve. Why is what you've got to fix. X are the number of reasons that are causing your problems, but you don't know which one it is. Let's say you have five Xs. One, you have to wait too long. Two, your emergency room is dirty. Three, they don't like the way your doctors look. On and on and on and on and on. Lean Six Sigma helps you identify which X you need to fix, basically. And one final thing about Define, whenever there's a problem uh, in any organization or something uh, has happened, you we got to fix that. First thing that happens when you have a meeting, everybody comes up with a solution. Well, I think we should do this and this. And somebody says, well, I think you should do EFG. And somebody says, well, I think you should do A and B. Albert Einstein once said, and I always remember this, when I have a problem, and I've said this before, when I have a problem, um I spend and I have an hour, fix it. I spend 55 minutes defining the problem and five minutes solving the problem. What's my point? Most of the things that will help you solve a problem is sitting down and talking about it, defining what what, what, what do you mean when you say left without B and C? What do you mean? Blah, blah, blah. You would be amazed at how much miscommunication occurs because we say things, but everybody has different meaning. but we never ask. Okay? That's, that's what the roadmap looks like. Uh, with uh, Lean Six sigma Again, use your hand computer to look up Lean Six sigma Okay, medical malpractice. So I'm just about done, right? Right, right. You've been following me, right? I'm just about done. So, what is medical malpractice? Now, I have been asking you for the last five week, five months to think like doctors. I'm now going to ask you to think like lawyers. Get about being a doctor, you're now an attorney. You're now attorneys. Uh, we're, we're, we're dealing with the the uh Andrew Collins, uh, um Hammond's um Jesse Hammond's uh law practice. They are they are famous around the area, particularly medical malpractice. <laughs> so they're 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 the top of the line. Uh, you know that and, and I, you know, uh, one of the things I learned is that, you know, people tend to like doctors in general. People don't tend to like lawyers in general. I'm I'm just, you know, generalizing now. But somebody once said people tend to hate lawyers until you need one. Until you need one. When you need one, you need a good one. Uh, and one of the things that I learned when I went to law school was how little I knew about the law. And the reason for that is the law is deceptively complex. You 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 read it. You read a, a line that says "use a gun, go to prison." And you say, "Well, I understand that. I know what a gun is. I know what a prison is. I know what use a gun, go. to prison. I know what that means." But that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. And I can tell you, when when I went to law school, um, um, I was older than the other students. They were twenty-somethings. I was forty-something, whatever, forty or fifty-something. Um, and one of my favorite classes was TART, P-O-R-T, and, and TART means injury, okay, and, and we're, that's connected to our subject. Uh, and I was sitting now <laughs> you got to say, I'm, I'm one of those students who gets a class an hour, 30 minutes ahead of time. I sit in the front row, okay, I mean, you know the type. You know, I got my pencils. in my van. you know, you see them. Come on. <laughs> I, I'm that type of student, all right? So so you you get the picture. So I'm sitting in the front row, you know, ready, ready. Um, and the instructor gets up and says, man walks up to another man, takes a gun, puts it to his head, pulls the trigger, shoots him in the head. Man drops and he's dead. Is that murder? And I jump up and I'm throwing my hand up. I'm on the front row, throwing my hand up. And he's like, and he said, Dr. Choctaw. I said, yes, it's murder. And the instructor looked at me and he says, it depends. And I said, what do you mean it depends? Said, you just told me that the guy walked up, put the gun to his head, pulled the truck, and the guy was dead. He said, was it his house? I said, I don't know. He said, what was the man doing when, when the guy shot him? I said, I don't know. He said, was the man coming at him? Did he have a gun also? I said, I don't know. What the instructor was telling me is, it does depend. You've got to know the fact before you come to a conclusion. Grayness, it is not black and white. I'm a doctor. Not only I'm a surgeon, be really are black and white. Give me a knife. I'll find out what the problem is. Right? No. Lawyers don't get knives. No. And so whenever you ask an attorney, and, and, and I, I, I encourage you to take me up on this. Any attorney, ask him or her a question. And I guarantee you, the first thing she will say to you, or he will say to you, it depends. First thing they will say, they'll say two words, it depends. Because what they're saying is, you got to give me more information. You got to give me more You You can't just tell me somebody got shot and expect me to come to a conclusion and not, and not give me anything to work with. So that's the fundamental difference between medicine and law, right? Um, I, I would tell, um, um, um members of my hospital when I was chief of staff. And they would bring to me a situation, let's say harassment of some type. Uh, and they would say, oh, it's terrible, it's this, 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 and we need to do A, B, and C. And I would say, have you talked to the other party? Um, do do you do you have the other side of it? one of the things I learned in law school, if I did not know it before, there are always two sides. Always, always, always. I don't care if the guy put the handgun to the guy's head and shot. Just like I was saying, what were the circumstances around that? What, what was the guy holding God's family hostage? don't know. I don't know. So, so my point is, and I really believe this is where the law helped me personally. I have for the most part always been a black and white type of guy, you know, uh, blah, 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 blah. But what I have learned, what I have learned is to take a step back. Ask a few more questions. Don't be so quick to judge. Don't be so quick to think I have the answer because many times I'm wrong and I don't want to be wrong. That make sense? So so my point is that regardless of what you think about lawyers, one of the things that the law does is that it makes you slow down and get all the facts because you don't want to be wrong. Whatever conclusion you come to, you want it to be the right conclusion. All right. So, so just keep that in mind. Okay. Let, let's go. So, tort is a type of law that means injury. P-O-R-T. Now, there are two main big sections of the law. There's criminal, uh, and there's there's civil. All right. Criminal and civil. Malpractice is civil law. It is not criminal. Let me explain the difference. If I am found in violation of a civil statute. Basically, I pay money. I have injured somebody or I have created an injury. And to make that person whole, I have to compensate them for their injury. Okay? If, on the other hand, I am found guilty of a criminal statute, I go to jail. Think about that. Civil, you pay money. Criminal, you go to jail. Uh, civil, somebody will sue me or some entity will sue me and blah, 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 blah. You defamed me. You violated this or whatever, whatever, whatever. <clears throat> but if it's criminal, the uh, district attorney in the state of California will say representing the citizens of the state of California uh, because my crime is considered a, a, a violation of the state. I violated um, all all the members of them the state of California, and that's my other point. Medical malpractice is a state law. It is not a federal law. That's why it may vary from state to state to state. Texas may be a little different from California, but the basic parts of it though is the same. What is the definition, going back to to what um uh, what was said before about uh, defining what is the definition of medical malpractice? The definition is acting unreasonably under the circumstances. Acting unreasonably under the circumstances. There are three elements to that definition. Three elements, only three. Element number one, acting. You got to do something. You got to do something. Number two, unreasonably, what you did was not reasonable. And third element, under the circumstances, let me give you an idea. Uh, let's say um, um, a patient comes into the emergency room uh, as part of a a fifty car pile up on the freeway, um, and and the and the patient comes in, and you know the emergency room is just a big scramble. And they call it down the trauma surgeons and. And we come down and we're taking different patients and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Um, And uh, let's say, hmm, one one of the surgeons uh, at the end of the operation, the scar of the surgery is longer than it normally would be. Let's just say for the sake of argument. And the patient decides to sue the surgeon because uh, she didn't like the way her scar looked. Uh, Surgeon's attorney will say, you know there were fifty people in that emergency room. Uh, doctor McClure was operating on twenty-five of them by himself because he's a super doctor. All right. So if if the scar on patient number ten was a little longer than patient number eleven, under those circumstances, that's really okay. That's not a big deal, right? Okay. So it's important to understand the definition. You got to do something. Um, let's say. You are um, at a meeting, so you're at church, and someone comes up and says, you know, I've got this blah, 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 and I've been taking medicine A or medicine B, and I'm thinking about throwing out medicine A and just taking medicine B. Do you think that's okay, Dr. X? So what, what should Dr. X do? True, <laughs> sure. sure. So, number one, I should not answer the question, but, but at, the, at the very minimum uh, is is to say, I don't have enough information, which is true. Uh, I, I One of the things I should tell the young doctors coming out, uh, don't make telephone diagnoses. People will call you up and say, uh, you know, I just woke up and I got this pain that's on the right side and it's going around to the this and to the that. Uh, do you think I need to go see the doctor or just wait until morning? And I would say uh, do the safest thing, and that's probably go into the emergency room. Because you don't know. You don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. Now, this is based on what's reasonable for the reasonable physician. The standard is not the reasonable person. The standard is the reasonable physician. So what they will do is that they will call in a expert doctor, um, um, Dr. Rebus, and say, uh, Dr. Rebus, we want you to review this record. Uh, because." Uh, there's been a concern about Dr. X, and we want to make sure that you think that he did or did not operate uh, reasonably under the circumstances. Okay. So there are four elements that plaintiff's counsel has approved to find liable for malpractice. Did you have a duty to the patient? Did you have a duty to the patient? Now, if the patient came into your office and you touched them, then you have a duty. If you saw the patient in the emergency room, you touched them, you have a duty. Let's say you're you're at a at a at a, at a dinner party and you're all drinking your sodas, <laughs> sodas, cold <laughs> whichever you like. <laughs> you're sharp. You guys are sharp. You that a You didn't miss that event. And you're drinking your sodas, and someone asks you for advice. Do you have a duty to that patient? Probably not. So my point is, my point is you got to have a duty to the patient. Did you breach your duty to the patient? Second element. Breach means did you violate that duty? That's why you call in the expert witness to review the record. There's going to be another doctor to say, yeah, he did. It did not breach your duty. Did your breach cause damages? And indeed, were there damages? So the four elements the plaintiff's counsel has to prove before you can be found liable for, for me- medical malpractice. Now, if you are inclined to find out more about this subject, there is an expert, expert, expert. No, <laughs> <laughs> what, okay. One of the things that I, I would give um, a talks to doctors, and I would give basically the same talk to the docs. Um, there are certain things I would tell them, and I'll summarize it like this, uh, that I would tell them. Most patients will forgive you, even if you make a mistake. They will. I'm telling you, they will. After 50 years of practice, they will. Most most people will forgive you. Um, They'll say, doctor, blah, 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 whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, And they won't even think about malpractice or soon. But there's one exception. And that exception is if you're a jerk. If you are a jerk, J-E-R-K, they will not forgive you. If you walk into the room and, uh, wife is the patient, husband's standing in the corner. You ignore him. You know, you just talk to her. You, you, you just ignore him or the family or the grandparents or what, whatever. I'm just making this up. You ignore them in the room. You're disrespectful. One of the hypotheticals I used to use, um, in my presentation to the doc is patient comes to see the doctor. Patients said to be Spanish speaking only. Nurse gives a chart to the doctor. And as the nurse is handing the chart to the doctor, nurse says, Spanish-speaking only. Doctor says, okay, doctor doesn't speak Spanish. Put patient in the room. Doctor goes into the patient's room with the nurse who speak, who interprets for him uh, and does his exam and, and history and all that sort of stuff. Writes a prescription for the patient. Okay. Um, and before the doctor leaves the room, he turns to the nurse and makes a comment about the patient. Quick comment. Real quick comment. But it's sort of a disparaging type of comment, you know, not, not anything rude, rude, but it's not nice. It's not a nice comment. I'll put it like that. And and what, what, one of the things that I always tell the docs, I said, I don't care what the language is and I don't care what the nurse tells you. I don't care what language they say the patient speaks or the patient speaks. Everybody who is said to be Spanish speaking, and you can fill in the blank with Spanish. You can put in Tagalog, Mandarin, Cantonese, um, on and on and on and on. Speak some English. So you do not have to speak the language to communicate pro or kind to the patient. I said, so don't make stupid mistakes, right? I mean, I, I, in my mind, that, that's a stupid mistake or whatever, but there's no excuse for that. Uh, and it goes back to respect transcends all culture. Be respectful. Just be respectful. Same thing your mother and father taught you when you were growing up. Be respectful. So I would always end my uh, my presentation with the docs by saying, "Don't be a jerk." Real easy to remember. Just just don't be a jerk. In summary, transformation in healthcare is patient centered. Obama land was a landmark healthcare legislation. Hospitals are achieving high reliability with Lean Six Sigma and similar types of processes. Respect transcends all culture. And avoid medical malpractice by not being a jerk. My basic principles, as I always like to end up, God is in charge. Um, I don't have bad days. Don't sweat the small stuff, and most stuff is small. Forgiveness really is therapy. And everything, everything, everything is a relationship. Mutual respect, mutual trust, good communication. Are there any questions? Yes, sir.
2: Yes, um, when you were talking, uh, <laughs> uh, when you were talking about you seeing things black and white, and uh, the way, uh, let's say, if I'm your patient, are you nice with me because of the way you think, or because because of the privilege that I have, or the law.
1: Excellent question. I am nice with you because you're a human being. And that's basic that's all all you need is just to be human. Um and all that other stuff I completely ignore. Go ahead.
2: So there is no law, in other words, uh to 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 you know that it will it, uh that will tell you to respect the other there
1: is a law. There is a law, and that's an excellent question. I'll tell you why. Because what what we know is there are laws and then there's how you interpret. There is a law that says I need to treat you reasonably and responsibly. Uh, uh, But a lot of times individuals can sort of do what they want to do and sort of get around the law. But, yes, there are rules that say I'm supposed to treat you a certain way, you know, Uh, but a lot of that depends on. Whether I think I can get away with it or whether I think you will tell somebody, et cetera, et cetera. But the the right way is it shouldn't matter that my approach should you should be the same as it is with everybody else. And that is with absolute respect.
2: And just to finish it up, this yes. is not a question. Well, That's okay. I a question. That's okay. When I went to the office, uh, the doctor's office, hmm. uh, I saw a sign Okay. That is a don't tell me why you Google on, really? on your on your oh uh, on your symptoms.
1: Oh my God! Okay.
2: So, why is that uh, a problem? Well, why is that?
1: Okay, I, I would consider that rude if I were a patient. Uh, because what he or she is saying is, I'm, I don't want to listen to you. But the reality is, and I think this is a good reality. Yeah, there are bad things about the internet or AI, whatever, whatever. But I think the good thing about it is that it's empowering patients. It used to be that we control all the information, uh, but now you can do a chatbot, or you can go online and you can look up anything that I tell you. I, I, so what what I what I would way I would interpret that is that they, they aren't interested in listening to me; they just want to tell me what they want to tell me. Um, and I would I would for me that would be a non start. I go to another doctor because I want to have a discussion. Now I, I you know if I'm just a patient, I'm not a doctor. I at least want you to be able to explain to me what it is you're going to do in plain English. You know, don't use all those big words to try to impress me in plain English. And just like that HCAP question that I can understand. So it's the patient's perspective, not the doctor's perspective. And if someone was affir- affirmatively putting stuff on, on the door, said, don't even come in because you want me to ask a question, I'd, I'd pass them on. Because I, I would consider them rude, I would consider them, and they're already telling me they, they don't want to talk to me. They just want to tell me what to do. And and I'm not interested in that kind of thing. If, if I have the option, if I have the option, I'd pass them by. I'll say, yes, sir. Please, go ahead, Gary. Oh, can you hear me? Oh.
3: Yes, Um, I had a question about um, what's the word? So so if there's a question of uh, malpractice or anything like that, okay. oh. Well, what is the statute of limitations as far as time period?
1: I think that's a good question. I think it's about. because it varies per state. I, I want to say it's like a couple of years, but that that would be a good thing to to put into Google and say now practice statute of limitation, and they can tell you exactly. But I think it's at least probably about a couple of years.
3: Okay, and 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 the B part to that is how would you then. Um, if you do have a suspicion, how would you then acquire the information as far as what what happened or what took place? Excellent
1: question. A- a- excellent question. I think the first thing you would do is that you want to talk to uh, an attorney. So then the question is, well, how do you find an attorney? Uh, there are a couple of ways to do that. One is if you know friends, you know, who know an attorney. But I'll be honest with you, most people don't uh, quite honestly. Um, And what what I would do is I would get I would go back to the to the search and I would put in a medical malpractice attorneys near me, medical malpractice attorneys near me. I would call them up, and I would say I need a consultation on a possible malpractice case. Most of the times they'll give you a consultation about thirty minutes, forty five minutes, and ask what what their fee is. And then you can shop around to make sure that fee is compatible with what you're willing to pay and go in and talk to somebody. Because what you want to do is you want to present the facts and have them use their legal expertise to let you know, is there anything there or not? And for a lot of people, just doing that is therapeutic. You know, a lot of people are oh, not interested in that, but, but they have a question. You know, they're uncomfortable. They say, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, And just getting legal advice sometimes is worth it. But that—that's the way I would do.
3: So, so, do the does the hospital? Do you have a, a right to information as far as that? As far as a, a release of information from the hospital or or doctor?
1: Are oh, you saying information about the hospital and and about the doctor from the hospital?
3: Yeah, as far as as far as your possible question, as far as I what what happened in a particular situation. Right. Does the hospital have a right to release information to you based on, on that situation?
1: Okay. The hospital has a right to release your information. If you say, I, I want my medical records, or let's say if it's a child, I want my child's medical records, that, that's within your right. The hospital's not going to tell you much else other than that um, because they have their own attorneys and the physicians have their own attorneys. Uh, now, you, you bring up a good point that I think is important to emphasize. Every hospital has a complaint department. You, if you have a concern, you can put it in very general terms and say, you know, I was in the hospital, blah, 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 or my family member, blah, 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 and we, we didn't understand why blah, blah, blah happened. Please explain. You, you can write a very generic letter like that. The important thing is that when you do a complaint, it has to be in writing. Most people don't know that. You can't just call up and talk to somebody. Uh, You have to put it in writing. Uh, And one of the things that we used to do when we would evaluate accreditation hospitals is how they deal with complaints in writing. They have a time frame that they have to answer you specifically. So put it in writing. It doesn't have to be very long. And say, uh, we we, we have some questions about our case. We want more information. Smart Hospitals will be very happy to talk to you about it. Uh, Thank you. You're welcome. Any other questions? Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, regarding that, that usually uh, if somebody calls in, they have some symptoms
1: mm-hmm. and not to give, you know, what what is it you tell them go to the medical or go see a doctor. Mm-hmm. And now um, sometimes when you want to make an appointment at the hospital, they say, well, you, we can give you online at such a certain time, if you want to know what's wrong with you, mm-hmm. is that something that is going to be, or is that something that is just at a hospital? Well, that's something that's happening right now, and that's fine, because what's happened is that now doctor-patient, uh, doctor-patient uh, hospital interaction is can be virtual or in person. That is perfectly okay where you put in your basic symptoms uh, and then they'll ask you some questions and what they're doing is they're trying to decide is this something they need to have you come in for or is this something that they can answer for you online that's the best way to do, quite honestly. absolutely absolutely, absolutely. yes lorraine just the suggestion that they can also excellent point um excellent point if if it's it's sort of like a relationship that's about to go bad in a way, you see him saying, "I'm talking about doctor patient now." Uh, it is reasonable to say, you know, doctor, doctor, we have we have a lot of questions about what happened to my uncle, you know, that you took care of. Um, uh, it is smart to ask to meet with the physician for a number of reasons. If he says no, that you that that you want to make a note of, okay. But a lot of times, to Lorena's point. This can be resolved just with a quick conversation. Most of the times, there are questions that have not been answered or have not been answered completely. And just by getting those things answered, all that stuff can go away. I, I would argue more than 50% of the time, it can go away if that position is willing to talk. Because the position, in my opinion, is more important than the hospital, unless it's a possible related employee. Even then, I would still start with the position. Because you want to get that physician on your side. If the physician said, Oh, you're exactly right. There's no way blah 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 should have done that, then then that that's important for you to know. But excellent point. You want to have that meeting first. Because a lot of times the hospital will put together a team to meet with you. But it's always better to have the meeting first. Have the meeting first. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Do you have a question? I thought you uh, any other questions?
3: Yes, sir. Yes, doctor. Oh. oh, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I was going to ask. Okay. Um, so if you, you you have a current doctor that you're not exactly uh, gelling with. Right. So let's say like you feel like their office is always like in a rush. Your appointment is kind of rushed through and stuff like that. How do you go about um, getting another doctor as far as OK, so so, you, you know, you call your insurance, you get a list of whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, are, are there certain questions that you should ask those doctors when choosing a doctor? Oh, 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 what would you say is the best process of doing that?
1: I personally think the best process of doing that is, is actually being there physically, if you can. Uh, because I think you're going to pick up some things that, that may not come up in a normal question. You're going to look around the office. Is it clean? Or are there a lot of people, are there few people you know, that you can certainly still ask questions, um, you know, in terms of what their experience is. Let's say if it's a procedure or whatever, you can ask some basic questions. But I think if possible, uh, making eye contact, doing that person to person type of thing, uh, is, is worth doing. Uh, one, one of the things that, that my wife and I do, we tend to do things differently sometimes. So I'd like to always help her with me or vice versa. Because she's going to pick up stuff that I'm going to miss. Or I may pick up stuff that she missed. So I, I'm a big believer, if possible now, uh, to have that 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 uh, uh, in-person type of thing. If not, you can certainly ask certain basic things about procedures in terms of how that person uh, explains things to you. Or if they're even willing to talk to you. All those things are things that you can sort of check the boxes in terms of pro or con. For leaders, the
2: other question. Yes, uh, I think I'm one of those persons that you said that uh, I think the physicians are always busy, and unless I don't see some openness, I won't even ask about what I went for. <laughs> <laughs> just just waiting for them to tell me. But uh, um, you're a doctor over here, and we usually ten. Well, I'm usually ten. You know, oh, he's a doctor, and he's not. A simple doctor. I mean, he's a surgeon. Oh man, I have it with me. <laughs> so uh, when we approach to you, if we do, uh, and we engage, you know, uh, in, in a term of a conversation, do you or your duty to to that person under the regulations, the medical regulations? Oh, I see. Okay,
1: it depends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting it on the hat on. No. No, it, it, because it depends what the circumstances are. Are you in my office? You know, or, or are we in the, are we?
2: No, uh, we're here in the parking lot. Well, we're in here the parking lot, the, okay. Uh, yeah,
1: in, in the parking the lot, then there are probably no, no obligation. But go, I'm going to go back to your original uh, comment also. In terms of, because a lot of, I would say, 50%, if not more, people are exactly like you. Um, I, I would write down the question. Because what that does, that helps to slow you down. You know, you can just say, I, I just have a couple questions and I wrote them down. Is that okay? And you just go down your list. That way you don't have to worry about getting flustered and trying to remember. And, you and know, just write down two or three questions that you have. Now, and, and if it's at a social event, I mean, times the doctor is not obligated to just say anything, but that's on her, what she says or doesn't say. Uh, and what I do, I always reply because I think it's rude not to, you know, type in. You know what I mean? Uh, but 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 just say well I'm not sure or refer I use just refer uh, you know to the primary
2: doctor because there are there are person I mean I work for the medical team management department mm-hmm. in the hospital mm-hmm. there are people who know who they're looking for yes a girl a gap good to just to get yeah or just to get that person or that hospital yes yes so yes. The same. It, it,
1: there's, there's no question that if if one has an addiction, Ah uh, then then a lot of it is intentional, you know, where where they're strategizing and that sort of thing. that I, I I view them as a subset as compared to just the regular patient. But having said that, one of the things that we docs have to be careful of is assuming that one is acting a certain way because of an addiction. And one of the things I used to say drug addicts have pain too, you know they they have real pain too, you know uh, and just because, I'm, 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 you know, one is a drug and it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, you know. And so we have to make that separation because it's very easy. And I, I've seen this in the hospitals a lot. Oh, so and so a blah, 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 blah. He, he, it doesn't really hurt. Doesn't really hurt. Of course, it hurts. Of course, it hurts. And I'll, I'll end on this. Uh, the whole thing about healthcare disparities is where we look at people a certain way and then come to conclusions about them based on how they look they nothing to do with science, just based on how they look. Uh, and that's like the worst form of healthcare disparities. Um, but there's no question. There are people who are manipulative, usually addicts, people who know the system, know it very well, have been doing it for years and, and know how to work the system. Most of them are going to be in the minority. Exception might be a, a, a drug addiction clinic where, where addiction is, is the primary issue.
2: Yes. If you could expand a little bit
1: about how a person can that decision, how they can go through the barriers, somebody and was in referral to the decision,
2: and
1: to that—that's an excellent point. Thank you. One hmm. one of the things that we all know is that it doesn't always work. It just nobody's fault—not the doctor's fault, not the patient's fault. Your insurance company can certainly help you with that. Just say, well, I went to see Dr. Choctaw, but I think I want to go see Dr. Colin. Uh he just seems to be a nicer guy, you know, and he has a pretty watch. And I, I just I just think I I want to go see him. And and, and many times your insurance company will accommodate you because remember, it's patient centered now, to Lorena's point. Um 50 years ago, they'd say, puff, you know, Choctaw's all you have. <laughs> but now you 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 do have that leverage. And I would clearly, uh, I encourage you to say, you know, if it's, it's, it's just us or whatever, uh, we just want to get a second opinion. Uh, but you, you want to explore that. You don't want to be uncomfortable all the way through, uh, when, when you're going into healthcare and you know from day one, it's not working, you know, and you're not communicating. You don't trust the trust, not that, whatever. You do you do you don't have the feeling, whatever that is. Then you want to get out of that before it even starts. Because It's not going to get better, yes. Yeah, I was able to do that, okay. And yeah. how, how did you do it online? I online, and looked for the doctor, they had what I needed, okay. The disease. And I was able to change it, okay. I had picked, I mean, I had picked it first, right? But then it was not, enough. so I went online and looked for someone else, and this thing I could do. It. There you go. Yeah. And, and 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 that's an excellent point, uh, that you have power, which which is the whole point. And part of your power is that you can say no, just like we talked about in one of the other lectures. Um, and part of your power is you can say, I I want I want another um, opinion or whatever. But I would encourage you to do that. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean the doctor's a bad person. It just means it's not working. Nobody has to be at fault, uh, but you have the authority to change that okay all right thank you thank you very much have a great weekend happy mother's day to all the
0: mothers thanks for listening to the healthy wealthy and wise podcast with dr william chonka we hope you enjoyed this episode on healthcare's quality revolution and if you found this episode helpful please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform this will help ensure that you don't miss any future episodes And then share it with your family, friends, and or your co-workers. They'll thank you for it. And we thank you once again for listening to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast with Dr. William Choctaw. Live your best life the best way.